0: You know we're talking about the, the a biblical approach to the end times. We're in lesson three, but I'm laughing because really we're just we're talking about God's picture. I mean, you can call it the end times if you want, but the reality is is this is what God's doing at the beginning. This is what He's going to do in the middle, and this is what He's going to do at the end. You can call it whatever you want. We call it the end times, but it's really just a big picture of Scripture. And so you know at the very beginning we called this series to number our days. It came from Psalm ninety. Kevin do you remember who wrote Psalm 90?
1: I do now. Uh, Moses wrote (laughs) Psalm 90.
0: I thought maybe you're hesitant long enough for Rich to tell you the answer. I
1: was waiting for Shelly to make sure she got me open.
0: Uh, That was good. All right, so here's the deal. Um, uh, Moses, you know, wrote this to number our days. In other words, God, teach me to number our days. Make the most of this time. You know, I love what Ray was praying. Ray, Ray prayed like, nobody's got to see what we get to see right now. You know, in Daniel 12, it talks about how the no- we're gonna, our knowledge is going to increase. We're going to see things that people in the past couldn't see. What we see, what Moses wrote, uh, he had no access to the New Testament. <laughs> that should blow our minds. And that's why you have to understand the end of Genesis 11 going into Genesis 12. So in Genesis 11, verse 27, this is kind of where I want to begin to really unpack this, this language. Genesis 11, verse uh, 27, says there's these family records of Terah. Terah fathered three guys, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran is actually going to be a location of a place later on. Don't get confused by that, okay? Like somebody sent my wife and I a text. They were driving through Kyle, Texas. It's a city, but it's different, and it's not me, okay? So you have three guys, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. How many people, how many sons does Tehor have? Terah, Terah, excuse me, he has three. Terah has three sons, and then eventually he has a grandson named Lot. Again, I want to com- uh, just communicate this language that you're going to begin to see. Uh, Kevin, if you win, let's just keep going here. Haran died in his native land in Ur, Of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Okay, let's keep going if we can. In 29, Abram and Nahor, they took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai. Now, just obvious, I'm not calling Abraham. It's Abram at this point. Sarai is Sarai, not Sarah. Okay, sounds simple. They're not misprints. I'm serious. And Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Okay, Keep going if you would, Kevin. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. This is really important. Okay? You might think, well, what's the big deal? Well, the reality is is the promise that you're going to hear in a couple verses, it's going to seem impossible. So here you have Abram's wife, Sarai. She was unable to conceive. She cannot have children. She does not have children. And in fact, over and over, you see this with Rebecca in Genesis 25. You see this with Rachel. In Genesis 29, you see this with Hannah in 1 Samuel. It's almost like this barrenness, and I like this, this infertility reveals people's faith. This barrenness says, do you believe that I can show up despite you not seeing me at all right now? The battle has begun. The battle does not look good. And right now I'm going to show you something, but you got to understand I can do the impossible. And I want you to write this down, if you would. I want you to go, Kevin, if you can, can you go to Isaiah 54, verse 1? This is really important. Now, this is the prophet Isaiah, okay? I'm moving ahead now, okay, into the major prophets, just for a second. This is a big, big language here. It's one of William Carey, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. This is his heart uh, heart verses here. Rejoice, childless one, one who did not give birth. Catch this language. Rejoice, who doesn't give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. So in other words, I want you to rejoice. Why? Because it keeps going to verse two. It says, for the children of the forsaken one, the one who is barren, the one who it doesn't look good, it will be more than what? Than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. That makes sense? You might see right now it doesn't look good. Some of us today are in that spot in our life you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Well, if you take the picture of a prophet Isaiah who's talking about Kevin, what are we talking about here? Exile. Practically speaking, right?
1: Yeah, they're, the people are getting ready to go into exile.
0: The people are getting ready to go into exile, so the Israelites, tangibly, what the prophet Isaiah is saying is, hey, you're going to go into exile, and it looks like you're leaving everything and you have nothing, but I promise you it's going to get better. Does that make sense? I promise you that what you see right now, it's going to get better. How do we know? Because in Isaiah 54, verse 3, he continues to build this case. You are going to be given something more than what it looks like, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. The barrenness will now become fruitful. Your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. It goes to verse 4. This is why William Carey loved, loved this verse, this missionary. Isaiah 54 4 says, do not be afraid for you will not be put to shame. Don't be humiliated for you will not be disgraced for you will forget the shame of your youth. And it just kind of wraps up and you will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. In other words, the barrenness that you see in the battle when it doesn't look good, God says, I got a bigger picture, but you got to understand that from Genesis 3 all the way to Genesis really 12, you guys, they're not seeing any hope. And in fact, Abram and Sarah, all they know is no kids. And to understand the, the ridiculousness of, of what it's going to look like, I want you to go back to Genesis eleven thirty one, 31. Genesis eleven thirty one. 31. So here's what you have. You have the father, Terah. He took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter, law Sarai, his son, Abram's wife. And they set out together from the Ur of Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. This is where you're going to begin to see that the tension already began, but the land of Canaan. And it says, when they came to Haran, they settled there. So, Ray, have they made it to the land of Canaan yet? Hmm. No. Uh, where are they? Haran. They're in Haran. And so, which is, let's go to this map here, you guys. I think this would be a good visual for you all. Okay. So here it is. Uh, here you have the Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, very practically. Now, you've got a little, uh, a little pilgrimage. <laughs> where were they told to go? Canaan. But the next thing you know, the dad decides to stop in Haran. And this is where they stayed. They stayed here until he died. Until the dad dies, they, the dad never made it into Canaan. Okay, so just as a, a visual, I think this kind of helps us picture of where they're going, what does that look like? So all of a the sudden, they are told to go to the land of Canaan, right? They're told to go to the land of Canaan. Now, Kevin, if you would, can you keep going for me? Back to Genesis 11, and we'll get to the meat here, but this is uh, the, the setup here. So in Genesis eleven thirty-one, he is told, like, this is the process. I want you to get there. And then they settle there. Do you think at any point, at any point, do you think, well, I wonder if I'm being somewhat disobedient? We can get into that, we can get into this conversation, but basically they went 550 miles northwest of, of, uh, of Ur. And by the way, uh, this land that they're from, uh, it's a Er. It's a commercial capital of the world. It represents everything but God. There's a a moon god that they worship there, Nainar. Uh, Like everything to that point is, is that they were being asked at that point, this is kind of ridiculous, uh, to go into something that they really have no reason to go into. You realize that, right? It's not like Abram or Terah or any of the sons or the daughters, it's not like they were like, oh yeah, worshiping Yahweh. Okay? It's kind of a weird calling, isn't it? Uh, It's a strange calling to say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk into this. And so this is just kind of the backdrop. He's being asked to leave it all. So when you go to Genesis 12, verse 1, let's begin to unpack this. You have to understand he's being asked to leave the idols. In fact, uh, let's hit a pause button on that. Can you go to 1 Thessalonians, Kevin 1? 1 Thessalonians 1, I believe it's 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. It's interesting, this is the New Testament perspective just for a second, but this is ultimately what what they're being asked to do. 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 9 and 10, it just says this, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had from you, how you, look at this, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And it continues on, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. I want that as a backdrop. I want this as a backdrop for Abram's call in his life. He was called to leave the what? The idols. And to do what? And to wait for the Messiah. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, I believe, is a setup for Genesis 12. How do I know? Because in Genesis 12, here we go, it says this, the Lord said to Abram, and by the way, we really don't know how he said this. We don't really believe this is a theophany. We don't believe that Christ actually came in person at this point. It could have been, but right now we don't know how it was spoken. But the Lord said to Abram, and this is really cool. Go out from your land, right? This is a flashback, by the way, back to their time in earth. Okay, it's like a hit. Let's go back for a second. Here's your flashback. I want you to go out from your land, the land of earth. Take your go out from your land, your, your your relatives, relatives, your father's house, and to the land that I will, I'll show you. That's probably one of the best things ever. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna just want you to just go. Uh, God, excuse me. How many of us at our churches? We have to have everything spelled out before we can even remotely function by faith that's not even faith but when we add a budget to it well we got to make it sense we got to make it all look right abram was literally just called to do this in fact nehemiah 9 7 i want to make sure you understand the importance this call that abram has nehemiah 9 7. Nehemiah 9, 9, 7, it says, you are Yahweh the God who, what, chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram was chosen, and it says it in verse, and continues on in verse 7, and changed his name to Abraham. So, God specifically said, you, I want you to go here. Well, what makes him so, uh, how do I put it, qualified? <laughs> Can you go to Deuteronomy 7. Seven through eight. I don't normally teach just kind of all over the verses, but I, I want to really just set this up. Deuteronomy seven, seven through eight. The Lord was devoted to you and chose you. Look at this not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. And in verse eight, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of, and the scripture continues on, slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why did he chose him, Ray? He said favor on him. Yeah, he said favor. Oh, you look like a good guy that actually will do this. That was, that was Abram's qualifications. Is God just said, yes, you. That's the game plan, by the way. God chooses us to be his vessel to point people to him. And this is the beginning. Noah was part of that process. And now all of a sudden you have what we see here in this text is Abram. In fact, I, I love this picture. <laughs> I want to I read this, uh, this, this, this quote here. It says, the fulfillment of any particular generation of Israel depended upon an obedience to God, but the ultimate possession of this promise, the ultimate possession of the land is, to Israel is unconditional. Even though Israel doesn't deserve it, the promise to Israel is unconditional. Does that make sense? There's nothing that they they can screw this up and it's still going to happen, right? What we're going to talk about is this call to Abram. This promise to Abram is an unconditional covenant. Can you unpack unconditional for a second?
1: It's unconditional. So what does that mean though? It it really means there's uh, no conditions other than God just said it. There's no part that, uh, humans play in that other than he made a covenant and he's going to keep his end of the covenant.
0: So there's really nothing except they were elected. Yep. They were chosen. That makes people squirrely. That makes people nervous. (laughs) He just chose them. Yeah, but why wouldn't he choose America? Why didn't he choose russia a guy from russia why didn't he choose a guy from italy i i don't know you got an answer
1: i do but uh you know god can see the end from the beginning yeah so it's uh based on his foreknowledge yeah
0: and and here's what i would say it is based on his foreknowledge and i believe he's going to choose people that will leave it all you know so many people answer like they say kyle why do you see this? Or why do you see that? Because I believe God knows each one of us are going to call something. So when I think about the Damascus Road experience for my life that night, 20 years ago, why do I think God chose me? Because I think he knows I'll walk it out. That's, That's my qualifier, just sheer obedience. Abram was at that point. So when people get offended that God chose Israel, you can't. That's just God and he chose Israel and said, that's the group that I'm gonna use. Yeah, but come on, America is, it's not America. And in fact, in scripture it says, every other nation besides Israel is a drop in the bucket. That's what the text says. And so I just wanna give you this backdrop. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave everything. Just because I love you, I've chosen you. And oh, by the way, I wanna make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'm in Genesis 12, 2, and then I'll read verse 3, and then we're going to unpack it. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who treat you with content, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What we're going to do is we're going to take seven key principles from these three verses, okay? Seven key principles that talk about a call for Abram, a promise for Abram. It's important to understand. And then how does all of this help with the battle? Because a call for Abram, okay, this is as simple as it's going to get, is God's answer to the battle. So first and foremost, we're going to get into this. And I, don't, I hope we get to the other six lessons, other points, because the very first one that he talks about is the land. In Genesis 12 verse One, what do you see there? In Genesis 12, verse one, you see, uh, you go to a land that I will show you. Now you go to verse seven, Genesis 12, verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, I will give this land to your offspring. The land is essential, okay, to God. Yes, it is true. The Canaanites were there before Abram. Ray, would you agree? Yep. Yeah, So Kyle, if you're promoting that Israel should have land, that's saying you don't like the Palestinians. That's what people will say, don't they? Yep. Just so you know, I love Palestinians. In fact, we work very closely with Palestinian believers who actually believe that the land is for Israel. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. And when you begin to understand that the land, and this is really important to understand, the land is It's it's God's. God can do whatever he wants and whoever he can give it to. And so for me, when I hear in Genesis 12 verse one, I'm going to take you to the land that's going to show you, I'm going to give you this land to the offspring. There's no other way around it except yes. I'm not against Palestine, but I won't ever mess with the land in Israel. I won't give it away and say, give it to this group. I will never propose that. Why? Because it's the Lord's, and he said, I'm going to give it to Israel. And so what I want to do is I want to just show you just a picture of what the original uh, promise of this land was. And it's huge, by the way. This, this is, just so you know, this is rough, okay? There's so many layers to this. But when you hear, he said, I'm going to go take you to a land that, that I'm going to show you, this is the rough region. Israel, you guys, just so you know, is normally right here. That's what we think of. That's what we think of May 14th, 1948, when Israel was given land. But when God originally set the borders, it was this. Now, where do we get that from? Okay. Well, just a couple of things. Uh, I want to just set this up in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, Genesis 15, 18 through 21. Okay. Uh, Genesis 15, 18 through 21. It says this on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. So what's he doing? He's giving borders. Okay. And it continues on in verse 19, Genesis 15, verse 19, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabanites. Verse 20, it says this. uh, Keep going for me, Kevin, if you don't mind. Verse 20. uh, The Hittites, the Perizzites, Raphaim, and it continues on, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So Ray, explain this for a second.
1: Well, it's God just defining uh, the land that he was giving to Abraham and for his descendants. And so this is the land that he marked out uh, for Israel to occupy. And he's, it's unconditional. He's never changed his mind. He doesn't change his mind by the ebb and flow of history. This is on his heart. And land is not only, uh, it's a big deal to God. We know that land even has testimony. You know, when uh, Cain slew Abel, he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood is testifying to me from the ground. So even the land testifies about God, his goodness, and his covenants.
0: Amen. This is what I think is really fun to think about, is that this land is a setup for Christ. Okay? He is getting ready for the epicenter for Christ to come back and crush him. So he's going to actually give him, Christ, a home. Jesus right now is in heaven. He's sitting right next to the Father, right? Okay, Satan is here right now on earth. We talked about that. But at some point, Jesus is coming back physically here on earth, and he's gonna set up shop on that land. Genesis 12 sets all of this up. It's not just about a person. He's literally providing a home and environment for the Messiah to wipe out Satan. The land is everything. So the picture is this. I want to just paint one more picture of the land. This is why I say I don't know if we'll get to any other points. (laughs) Okay, in Joel 3, verse 2. Joel 3, verse 2. This is before the millennium, before the actual thousand year reign. In Joel 3, it says, I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I'll enter into judgment with them. There, because of my people, my inheritance, Israel, the nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries, and what have they done? They've divided up my land. Jesus says, I'm coming back to restore the land. I'm coming back to redeem this land. And then in verses 12 through 14 of Joel 3, Joel 3, 12 through 14, says, let the nations be roused, thank you, and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations, (laughs) swing the sickle, says, because the harvest is ripe, come and trample the grapes. And then it continues on because the wine press is full, the wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is great. It sounds like we're talking about back then, doesn't it? Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You guys, this is going to take place physically on land in Israel. You can't divide this up because Jesus is going to come back. Even if you attempt to, he's going to restore it all. That's before the millennium. So all of this is fighting in Jerusalem, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. If you haven't gone to Israel, please go before the battle. (laughs) Okay. And then in the millennium, okay, this is really fun. Then you have Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47 verse 13. Now you have language of in the thousand years, where are they going to be, Ray? on the land. So when he says, Hey, Abram, I want you to go into a land that you don't even know about. He's walking to an environment to set it up because the Messiah is coming. So when we read first Thessalonians one, nine through 10, I got to leave my idols. And then I'm going to go and wait for the Messiah. That's Moses. That's Abram. They're all waiting. I love this picture. And so when you hear about the land, you have to understand it's so important. Don't mess with the land of Israel. I'm going to get into this a little bit more here, even about uh, the countries and the nations. But hopefully you see my heart of how one man's sheer obedience is going to lead to Christ's home on earth. That's crazy. And this guy was probably just whistling. Got some animals with him. He's got his daughter-in-laws. You know, he's got his sons. Hey, come on! What do you got, Kevin? He didn't have any sons yet. He didn't have any (laughs) daughter-in-laws. He was barren. (laughs) Let me rephrase this. He knew he was going to have kids. (laughs) That's a great catch. Thanks, Kevin. I thought you were criticizing my whistling for a second. No, that's just my teaching. Good catch. (laughs) All right, good catch. All right, so now they're on their way, right? Think about this. This is what he's told. And so as he's walking, now he's even more of a ridiculous promise. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, Now, Kevin, that would have been more of an appropriate time to correct me because he didn't have anybody. He's supposed to go to a land that's eventually going to get ready for his return, but he doesn't know that at that point. And then it says that he's going to become a great nation. And so in this process of, he says to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're kind of like, what, how's that work? There's 70 nations. You're going to take 26 descendants from Shem, 30 descendants from Ham, 14 from Japheth. You got a whole lot of nations and you're going to choose going to choose me to represent? Like, God, this is something I'm actually kind of, okay, I'll embrace this. And so there's a promise that was deposited into Abram. I'll make you into a great nation. There's a lot of layers to this, uh, but I want to just say this, uh, and it's a really, really powerful picture. Can you go to Genesis 17 verse 6? In Genesis 17 6, he says, I'll make you, this is the the Abram, I'll make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. And then in verse 7, he reiterates it I'm going to keep my covenant between me and you. Now in Genesis 12, Kevin, any kids yet? No kids. Just whistling. No kids. And so he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And oh, by the way, one other aspect of this. And can I just say something real practical here about this? Okay, this is Israel, okay? Israel, you could come up with lists. The things that they have produced, the things that they, it's like God has elevated this little country the size of Jersey. Jersey. That's what's so mind-blowing. And yet everybody hates them or you love them. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation out of all of them. Now, if you do a study, TJ, how many would you say nations are there right now today? I'm going to say 196. Uh, You're so predictable. 196, some lean to 200, some lean to 205. Tom takes the more conservative route. So if you even said 196, I'm going to make you a great out of all of them. You can have your favorite country and God says, I'm going to make this one greater. You'll know why in a little bit here. And then he says, Oh, by the way, I'm going to bless you. Right? Who's he looking to bless? Israel. Yeah. He's going to bless Israel. In Genesis 18, 3, he says, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight. This is the mentality. Like, Lord, I constantly am needing this favor from you. It's kind of a really incredible picture. And I think these are just some things that set the tone for the fourth one, I'm going to make your name, what's it say? Great. I'm going to make your name great. And so this name becomes great. It's just a simple sample test of what I actually think is to come. Can you go to Philippians 2, 9, and 10? All of this, it's just like you could take this in the Old Testament and then put it into the New Testament. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is what? Above every name. Verse 10, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so for me, what you're seeing is, yeah, it's a picture for Abram, but man, it's so much more. So when we're talking about the battle and how it's begun, this is God's answer. You cannot overlook the Abrahamic covenant. And yet what we've done, at least in America, is this injustice, I actually believe, for discrediting the Old Testament. I don't think we teach on the Old Testament as much anymore. But when we see the bigger picture of how all of these pieces fit together, oh yeah, God actually promised that his name was going to be great. And look, Paul writes about it in Philippians 2, 9 and 10. So this is going to be the name mentality. And then he continues on and he says this. Uh, He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with content. So I'm just going to write both of them up here. I will bless those who bless you. So Ray, just kind of just simply expand on the blessing and the cursing, would you?
1: Yeah, it's just the favor that's on uh, Israel and there is a promise from God. It's not a maybe. It is a promise from God yeah. that the ble- whenever we bless Israel, there's a blessing that comes back. Whenever we turn our back on Israel and bring a curse, it comes back on us. This is, this is as unconditional as the land
0: promise. That's right. So I'm going to make it super practical. Pharaoh, he took Sarah as his wife, right? Do you remember this in Genesis 12? but he didn't know that that it was Abram's wife. Every time Abram got nervous, oh, it's my sister. Remember that? Do you know what happened? Their household of Pharaoh got plagues. There's another scenario, Abimelech. In Genesis 20, he took Sarah's wife. Again, again, not his fault, but yet Abram's like, ah, here. And God cursed him and closed the wombs of Abimelech and that family. When you curse Israel, you will be cursed. When you bless Israel, you will be blessed. This is not some old covenant that's done when Christ comes back. Right, Ray? God never changed his mind on this. God has not stopped this promise. So when we communicate that the church, here we go, has replaced Israel, what do you do with this? You can't. You're Otherwise, you're saying God has not, you, you, what you're saying is, is God doesn't keep his promises. Now, does the church in Israel have some things in common when you accept Christ? Yes. Do we become one at some point? Yes. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have still uh, a promise for them, and it doesn't involve us, and we have to be okay with that. I'm going to go to number six. We'll just do this. this is the best one. Actually, they're all good. He says, you will be a blessing, right? What does this say? You'll be a blessing, right? To what? All the peoples, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through, through Abram. And in fact, it says this, go to Galatians 3, 8 and 9. I'm going to unpack just Galatians 3 here for a second or a little bit. Galatians 3, 8 through 9. Galatians 3, 8 and 9, it just says this. Now the scripture saw in advance. <laughs> Did you see that? Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham. The Gentiles. So the Abraham was told about the good news. Abraham was told about the good news. Slow down for a second. Where do we get that? Well, Kevin, you got to stay in there with me. Go back to Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis 12. Go to Genesis 12, verse 7, I believe. Genesis 12. I just, I just, I I believe. Uh, Can I prove this? I can't. Uh, I can't prove this. Um, but it says in verse seven, let let me read verse four just so you have a context, can I do that? Genesis 12, verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, so he he did this, by the way, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people he had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, when they came to the quote-unquote promised land, Abram passed to the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. So Abram is in the land as he's in the land, guess who shows up? Then the Lord appeared to Abram. This isn't now he just says it. It says he appeared, right?
1: You know, there's a tie-in to all of this when Jesus says that Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. And so, you know, there's there's a case to be made that the pre-incarnate Christ visited Abraham a couple of times, probably a lot more times A lot than more times.
0: When you say pre-incarnate, just for language.
1: So before Jesus uh, came as a man, he appeared to Abraham. Yeah. Uh, sometimes he appeared as a man, sometimes as the angel of the Lord, but if you look in context, there's always something in there about, I've seen the Lord and live. There's evidence that yeah. this wasn't just an angel or a man, that this was a visitation. And I love this language that Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Yeah. It's because this blows my mind that Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, he's standing in front of him, yep. and he's saying, I'm the result of your obedience. That's right. I'm going to be the
0: result. Fourteen generations, in Matthew it says, 14 generations, and then another 14 generations. And Jesus just combined them all in one meeting, possibly, in Genesis 12:7. I stopped the grapes too short. You did. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you see that, though, how that, how that possibly could take form? Prove it. I'm not here to say 100%, but I will say in Galatians 3, it says what? Abram was what? Go back to Galatians 3, 8, Kevin. Galatians 3, 8, it says the Lord uh, and told the good news ahead of the time to Abraham. Somehow he had to have known. It could have been that context, possibly. And oh, by the way, he says, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Here's the messy part. Abraham is the father of three religions. Judaism, Islam, Christianity. And it's sticky. It's really sticky. When you get into this picture here, can you go to Galatians 3, verse 14, uh, Kevin, for time? Galatians 3, verse 14. The purpose was that, that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by how? By Christ Jesus. So that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. <laughs> so, how, how, is they a, how are they a blessing? <laughs> because the lineage is coming through Jesus Christ. So, all of a sudden, the battle just got the answer. We already know now that Satan, guess what? You're going to lose. Abraham just got the promise. So why is all of the enemies trying to wipe out all of Israel? In fact, uh, Rich, you want to come back in for a second? Uh, how many people died, Rich, at the Holocaust? Uh, that would be six million. Six million Jews. Why is Iran trying to still wipe off Israel? Because Satan knows if I can wipe out every one of these people in his mind, I don't know, I don't want to speak for him, maybe this doesn't happen. Maybe the lineage of Christ coming back doesn't happen. I don't know, Ray, you want to jump into that?
1: Well, it's, it's also about the promise of God. There are multiple promises of God about Israel's future. If Israel doesn't exist, then God can't fulfill his promise. Yep. So he, may, he discredits everything God has promised.
0: So when we say, That there is no more plan for Israel, and that we as a church are that, I actually believe you're removing the promises of God. And I actually think you're messing with scripture, and it's walking a fine line that is not biblically accurate. And in fact, very few seminaries in the United States teach that Israel has a future. It's kind of alarming. Galatians 3.16. Galatians (laughs) 3.16. Oh man, I could teach on this for about five hours. I love this text. I'm sorry. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. And I say this, the law which came 430 years later does not revoke A covenant that was previously ratified by God and canceled the promise. Look at that. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given in 19? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come through angels by means of a mediator. Jesus is the answer, right?
1: You know, a lot of a lot of times, you know, we will say we're not under the law, which is true, and we will start to move away from things. It's it's interesting that this promise is before the law. Hmm. So you can't, you know, in, in terms of the church replacing Israel, this is a promise that predates the law. So That's you right. can't say this is part of this part of the law has been fulfilled. This is a promise. That's why he did it outside of the law. Amen because this is unconditional. Amen.
0: Galatians 3.29. That was just like a home run you just hit, you know? Thank you. God bless you. Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Isn't that crazy? It ties all the way back to Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is in response to Genesis 3. God put all of this together. Uh, can I just say something practical? And I do not even care if this sounds like an infomercial. Uh, can you go to Romans 15, 25? I, it's just, it's going to, just trust me. Romans fifteen twenty five. Some of you are saying, I don't know how I can bless Israel. Like, how can I be a part of this process? Romans 15, I think it's Romans fifteen twenty five. I believe it is. Paul's writing And he says this, yeah, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. So Paul's whole goal, by the way, in ministry is to eventually get to Jerusalem. You know that? Can I just say, do you guys know that Time Revive's whole goal is to get to Jerusalem? Do you know this? That's our heart's desire to have a training center there, to work with people there, to equip them for his return. And so Paul is traveling. He says, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem." So what is Paul doing? He's taking money and he's taking it to the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased, it says in verse 27, and indeed are indebted to them. So believers are indebted to the saints in Jerusalem. For if Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, if you and I believe in this promise, that Israel has blessed us, that they are a blessing to us, Scripture says then they are obligated to minister to Jews in material needs. Believers sowed into believers in Israel because the Messiah came from there. It's super practical. I was just going to say some kind of joke, but I don't know, I didn't have anything. And so here's... Here's where the time's up. Go to 1 John 2, 2, everybody, and we will wrap it up with this verse. 1 John 2, 2. 1 John 2, uh, 2. He himself, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of what? The whole world. Oh, by the way, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. You're going to have a name great. Uh, We're going to bless you so that we're blessed in the process. The blessing's coming through them. Why? So the whole world could know Christ. You are going to be a blessing to everybody through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Why was Genesis 12 so important? (laughs) Because the Messiah was just announced. And so for me, uh, there's a guy named Kent Hughes. He's a great writer, author, uh, teacher. And he just says this, true faith believes the bare word of God. True faith steps out on God's word. True faith follows wherever God's word directs. True faith builds altars and worships wherever it goes. You know that in, in, uh, in Shechem, Do you know that Abram built an altar of worship because he just heard the good news? Abram was literally probably one of the first men that proclaimed the good news because he worshiped the Lord in Shechem. And then true faith always proclaims the name of the Lord. And it starts with the word. That's all Abram had. And that's what we have as well. And so, David, you can come on up if you don't mind. Lord, I just ask that you, you would take this word right now And would you clean it up if there's anything that needs to be cleaned up? But Lord, if there's anything that you want it to deposit into us so deep, Lord, that it brings out um, a devotion and a desire to get to know you more, I pray, Lord, that you would do that. Jesus, I ask that you would bless Israel. Not everything that they do, God, is in alignment with you. And I'm asking, Lord, that they would look to you in the process. Bless their land. Bless them, Lord, and I pray that the seed uh, would continue, that we would wait for the seed to come back. It's crazy, God, how all that works. There's a lot there, Jesus, and I just say thank you for Abram having the faith to walk this thing out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.